morning, Mosaic. Good to see you. Hope you had a great weekend and had a great week. Today we're beginning a brand new series, simply walking through one chapter in the book of Luke over the next four weeks. And some of you are like, why is there a table here? Well, this chapter in the book of Luke chapter 14 um, is all around a dinner table. Um, Jesus tells several parables that we'll look at in the next few weeks, but all of this takes place in the house of a Pharisee, a leading Pharisee, and Jesus is seated at a table, and all of these interactions, these stories, all happen around a table, and um, it's found here in Luke 14. So we're entitling the series Table 14. So... Each of us have been invited to come sit around table 14. I know there's only two chairs here, but we have chairs all throughout the auditorium. And so this morning, you're invited to come sit at the table and sit at Jesus' feet and hear what He has to say. Let's look at Luke chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Here's what it says. One Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him, and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Talk about an awkward dinner, right? This is more awkward, right? Then in the movie, when he prays before the meal in front of his father-in-law, right? You know which movie I'm talking about, that awkward moment. It's more awkward than Talladega Nights when uh, Ricky Bobby prays, you know, to sweet baby Jesus in gold fleece diapers. This is more awkward than that. This story is awkward on every level, and maybe you've been at a a meal like that before. But today, we're going to see the heart of God versus the heart of religion. And our big idea for today is this, that we must embrace the heart of God over the heart of religion. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would take these few moments that we have together, that You would bless it. Help us to see Your heart today. Help us to see the love that You have for us, the care that You have for us, the concern that You have for us. And God, I believe today that you, uh, for some individuals who are here today, uh, they need to encounter you for the very first time today. They need to sense your embrace. They need to sense your touch, your healing power in their life over their sin, over sickness, over disease. God, you want to do this this morning. And you show us your heart today in this passage. For those of us who are here who know you, Jesus God, we struggle with embracing a heart of religion over your heart. So God, I pray that through your words, what you spoke around this dinner table, that you would cause in us by your Spirit to not 
choose a heart of religion, but to choose the heart of Jesus. We ask You for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? I want you to think about the most memorable meal you've ever had. I want you to think about it. Do you, do you remember it? Do you see it in your mind's eye? It maybe is starting to make you feel hungry. For me, it's any meal that includes steak or Italian food. Okay? So my last name's Lamato, and I can think of some very memorable meals that I had. Most recently, one of the most memorable meals that I had was with my son, Tyson. We, he went with me before he went off to school at the University of Wyoming to Boston on one of my work trips, and we found our way to the North End. If you've never been to Boston and never been to the North End, you're missing out, I'd encourage you, it's well worth the trip just for the North End. The North End is Little Italy, and uh, it's one, two whole blocks um, of, of just one Italian eatery after another, one Italian bakery after another, uh, a coffee shops, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I love the North End, and particularly there is a restaurant in the North End. Jessica and I have eaten there with my sister and her husband. I've eaten there multiple times on my own. I literally, going to the airport, I'm like, oh, I got two hours. Let me go over to Carmelina's. Carmelina's. I love Carmelina's. Carmelina's is a small little Italian eatery. It is, uh, if you try to get a table on open table, you better try the next day or the day after because there's not very many seats. And the times that I've gone by myself, I just sit up at the bar by myself and I order carbonara. I love carbonara. Look it up, Carmelina's, best carbonara. And I'll never forget one particular occasion eating carbonara, sitting at the bar. This was pre-COVID, they didn't have the plexiglass. And I, right at the bar, you're right where the chef cooks. And you can literally, you're like, from me to Dan, like I can see the chef cooking. And he has this pan, this big, huge pan, and he has five pounds of pasta in that pan and he's broken the eggs and he's poured it on top and he's literally tossing the food up into the air and as it goes in it grabs all that garlic and butter and eggs and prosciutto and all of the amazing pancetta all the amazing flavors coat the noodles how many of you are hungry right now i love carmelinas i love the meal but particularly i love I like to eat there by myself, but I love to have company. And I, I love to take people there. And uh, particularly, I loved sitting with my son, Tyson, this one of these last trips before he went off to college. And I let him take a bite of my, uh, my carbonara, and he literally closed his eyes. It was a worshipful moment, right? He had, he had spaghetti and meatballs. The meatballs were literally like softballs. And he took a fork and opened up that meatball and he took a bite of it and he literally was like, oh, so good. It, didn't help, it helped that we were eating at like 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, like good Italians. And so he was starving, but he loved it. It was savory. These meals that we think about, these dinner parties question I have for you this morning, is there a better way to get to know someone than over a meal? For most of us, meals have lost their significance. In a culture like this in Luke 14, meals were the center. They were the gathering place. For many of us, 
We don't sit down at the dinner table at night every evening. It's not the gathering place for the family any longer. For many of us, meals are had on the go or quickly or uh, maybe like while we're working and finishing up emails. For some of us, it's that moment when you're like, I need the kids to just get out of my hair. Here's your food. Go watch something while I sit at the table and stream something on my phone, right? This is what meals have become for many in our country. Our culture doesn't exist around long, drawn-out dinner tables. But that was a normative back then. Back in this passage. You see, because of this difference in our perspective, we can come to a passage like this and miss the significance and power of the moment of sitting down at a table with someone. Sitting down and locking eyes with them and chatting. And this is the moment that we find Jesus in. He's been invited to a leading Pharisee's house to have a meal. And we see the the nefarious actions of the Pharisees because they have invited someone. They've invited an unwelcome guest, if you were, for the purpose of pressing Jesus' buttons. This is kind of like that Thanksgiving meal when that person, that person in your family is invited. And it's in this moment that we see Jesus and the heart of God. In this series, we're going to look over four weeks through this passage, and we're just going to walk right down through it. And it's in this passage that we will see people who are needy healed. We're going to see the lost found, the lonely welcomed, and the outcast honored. And I think it's in those four things that we see the heart of God. We see broken people healed. Jesus wants to do this. He wants to do this in your life. He wants to do this in the life of Mosaic. He wants to do this in the city of Winchester. That God wants to see broken people healed. Number two, He wants to see lost people found. That there are people who come in and out of this place week after week who do not know Jesus. There are friends of yours that you leave from this place today and you go hang out with, you work with, who are lost. And Jesus shows us what it looks like to sit around a table and see the lost found. We see the the lonely welcomed. It's around this table with Jesus where He invites people who have never been having a seat at the table, who have never been welcomed around the table. He says, no, you can have this seat. So if you're here today and you feel lonely, Jesus invites you to table 14. He invites you to come sit with Him. To have a meal with Him. He also welcomes the outcast. The outcast. The one that society says is not welcome at the table. He says, no, you can have a seat. So normally we don't dive right into a chapter. We, we normally teach through books of the Bible. So we've taught through 1 Timothy since I've been here. We did a smattering of psalms and went through over the summer some particular psalms. Normally, we don't jump into the middle of a book. 
Um, and after this series, we're going to jump into an Old Testament book. You'll find out in the next couple weeks what book that we're going to be studying throughout the fall. And I know you're not going to want to miss it. But we're jumping into the book of Luke, chapter 14, over these next four weeks. And Luke, just for a little bit of background, is a disciple of Jesus, and he was a physician. He was a physician, but what's interesting is the book of Luke contains more than twice as many references to Jesus feasting, Jesus having meals. I think Luke is after something throughout his whole book, showing us the heart of God. Luke is littered with references to banquets and feasts and tables and dining experiences. And all of these are meant to show us who God is and what He has done for us. Let me just give you a few examples. You don't have to write these down. But in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus is at a banquet at Levi's house. In Luke chapter 7, He's having dinner at Simon's house with Pharisees and guests and sinful women. In Luke chapter 9, we have the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus actually brings the meal, right? There's a boy there, and he's got five loaves and two fish, and he feeds everybody. And there's more left over. I love this. In Luke chapter 10, we see hospitality taken at the house of Mary and Martha. It's assumed that there was food because uh, we see Martha running around and preparing things, right? She's making sure everything is set for Jesus. And we see this encounter with Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, you see a dinner at the Pharisee's house with Pharisees and lawyers. This is interesting for me as you walk through the book of Luke because we always see and remember the occurrences where Jesus confronts the Pharisees. But we fail to see Jesus is even interested in the Pharisees and the religious people and their souls, so much so that He'll go and eat with them. And He'll have conversation with them. He's not always correcting them. Sometimes He's showing hospitality to them. We see Jesus in Luke chapter 19 at the house of Zacchaeus having a meal. We see Jesus in Luke chapter 22 dining with His apostles around the table having the Last Supper. And then we see Him breaking bread with two disciples in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus. And then the last meal recorded in the book of Luke is at the end of Luke chapter 24, a meal with two disciples, particularly Peter, restoring him on the Sea of Galilee. Meals are important. Specifically, we look at this one lengthy meal here in Luke chapter 14. Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, community, and mission around the table, he says this, how would you complete this sentence? The Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, right? We we all think that. We might even remember the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. What's interesting is many of us take that and say, okay, what does that look like for me? And we come up with really, really strange things like this. We say things like, uh, we should campaign for political change, or preach on street corners, or make the most of new media. It's interesting, the writer says, there are three ways 
the New Testament completes the sentence, the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, Mark 10.45. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then Luke chapter 7, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. You say, what is the significance of that? The first two are the what. What Jesus came to do. To seek and save the lost. To serve. To be an example for us what it looks like to be a servant for everyone. And the last one is the how. By eating and drinking. By sitting around a table together. You see, Jesus fulfilled the mission that He was sent to do to seek and save the lost by sharing His life around the table. And it's around this table that we see a window into the heart of God. We're going to see today just really two basic things, and I'll get there, I promise. One is the heart of religion, and one is the heart of God. But before we get there, let's come sit around the table and let's read this passage together and kind of think about it as we study this together. Look at verse number 1. You see, the heart of religion is about seeking to self-justify through performance. It's about using others as a means to an end. You see, you and I, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing to people. And we do it like this also. We say, well, at least I'm not like. At least I'm not like that. At least I don't struggle with that. You see, what this is, is it's about performance. And you can't perform your way into acceptance before God. That's the heart of religion. You see, all of this is about making yourself look better, feel better, but in the end it shows that you have a Pharisee's heart and not the heart of God. The heart of religion is about protecting your religious reputation at any cost. See, that's what these guys are doing. They don't speak because they know if they speak, then they will be found out. So they're quiet. And their silence is deafeningly loud. And Jesus highlights this by asking them the questions that he does. Ultimately, the reason why they remain silent is because their hearts are wicked and they're sick. And they are worse off than the unclean man. They are as unclean as the man is with dropsy. You see, they had to remain silent or face having their hearts exposed. You see, the heart of religion will always lead us to a place where we are eager to point out the flaws of others. We're eager to point out the flaws of others. We're eager to be defensive, to make you think that I'm an expert, that I'm an expert of the law, and so I got, I got to do anything and everything to protect that and make you see me as an expert. That's the heart of religion. And then it leads us to forgetting our deep need for Jesus. So Jesus reveals this in this short conversation all around the dinner table. But here's what's beautiful. Jesus shows us the heart of God. 
He shows us something altogether different and something altogether more beautiful and compelling. Look at what Jesus does. Jesus shows us the heart of God that is gracious. He's gracious. He is so gracious that he's willing to sit with the Pharisees. He's willing to have a dinner with people he knows he disagrees with. That is gracious. You know, some of us could really learn from this gracious heart of God because we have friends, we have loved ones who believe other things about God that aren't true, who actually worship other gods that are not the one true God. And what we do is we try to stay as far away from them as possible, and that is not the heart of God. The heart of God says, hey, come sit around the table with me. And let me show you the gracious heart of God. You see, the heart of God is always gracious. Jesus shows us grace by dining with people he disagrees with. And then Jesus shows us what it looks like to be gracious even when those we disagree with need to be having a direct conversation with, a confronting conversation. You see, being confronting is also being gracious. And Jesus is willing to ask tough questions. Jesus also shows us the heart of God is not only gracious, but Jesus shows us the heart of God is merciful. That's what we see Jesus doing when he heals the man with dropsy. Jesus is being merciful. Why? Because in that moment, this, this man has been used. He's been abused by these people, by these religious Pharisees. They've been invited to the table, not for the purpose of good hospitality, but for the purpose of goading Jesus. And Jesus, not for one moment, plays into it. He shows mercy. And we see it in the merciful way that he heals him. It says he took him, he embraced him in front of everyone. To do this, they would have had to do what we just did here a moment ago. He would have had to grab him, bring him around the table, embrace him in front of everyone. Jesus is not afraid of unclean people. Why? Because Jesus has all the mercy in the world to deal with your uncleanness. He is. He is the Son of God. This is challenging, Mosaic, because God has placed us in a very unique place here on the walking mall. Where all kinds of people, people who look like you and me, who have jobs, who pay their bills, and who have nice, clean lives, come down here to enjoy nice meals. But also in this community are people who have no job, who have no place to live, who are struggling, who are addicted to drugs, who are possessed by all kinds of things. And Jesus shows it what it looks like to be merciful, to say, hey, come here, have a seat here, let me get you something to eat. And let me share with you what can set you free. Jesus shows us the heart of God by being merciful to the man with dropsy. And it's challenging for you and I because it shows us the heart of God in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in this moment, Jesus could have been like, you know what, I know the man with dropsy is here, but you know what, it's the Sabbath, and uh, I, I just, I'm hungry, I've been teaching. And uh, I'm going to just like eat 
some food, and then dip out. But Jesus, he didn't come to the house of the Pharisees to be served. He came to serve. He came to serve by confronting the Pharisees, and he came to serve this man by taking him and embracing him and healing him. You see, the heart of God is gracious, the heart of God is merciful, but the heart of God is also confronting. You see, the religious had a religion that was driven by selfish ambition and self-justification. And Jesus shows us a faith that is based upon grace, kindness, mercy, and forgiveness. Jesus' actions around the dinner table leave you and I confronted. And we're confronted with questions like, whose opinion do I care about more? Am I being obedient to Jesus by giving my life to him and asking him to come into my life and to save me and to be my savior and no longer seek to save myself? You see, this confronting heart of God confronts us with questions like this. Who do I care most sees what I do for God? Do I care more about what you think about me or do I care more about what God thinks about me? One is informed by the heart of religion and one is informed by the heart of God. You see, ultimately this passage is confronting because it brings us face to face with our own hypocrisy and a hypocrisy that is all around the symptom of a greater problem which is self-justification. What justifies me before God. And Jesus shows us in this moment, it's only through him that we are justified. It's only through him we are made clean. The writer of Romans puts it this way. You can see it up on the screen. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So he's not dismissing the law. He's saying, simply put, the righteousness of God is manifesting it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. What that means, that word is a theological word, which literally means that Jesus took your beating for you. That's what justifies us. The sacrifice of God on the cross on our behalf. That is what justifies us. Not keeping rules, not being clean or unclean, but what Jesus has done. It says this, that he put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. You see, the whole reason why Jesus set it up this way, why God the Father from the beginning ordained it to be this way is so that you and I would understand that there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves righteous. There is nothing that we can do that can heal ourselves. There is nothing that we can do that can make ourselves right. There is nothing that we can do to earn a seat at the table. 
It is only by God's grace and his mercy and his confronting love that you and I are welcomed around the table. The passage ends. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what this simply means, that Jesus has secured your past justification, that Jesus has secured your present justification, and that Jesus has secured your future justification. So we trust him. We trust him. We all today are invited to sit at table 14 at the feet of Jesus. And my hope is as you come to that table that you would receive the heart of God today. The gracious heart, the merciful heart, and the confronting heart that confronts you right where you're at but loves you and seeks to change you. Let's pray.